open your Bibles to Psalms 32. To Psalms 32. We'll, Lord willing, we'll conclude the message that we began uh, here last uh, Sunday. I was, I was thinking as we were as we were singing that first song. I don't know where what got me thinking about. I guess maybe a little bit with our Sunday school lesson this morning about you know, the apprehension and so forth. But uh, it was something I had to think. I've been I've been preaching now for 43 years, and I still get nervous as much before I start preaching as I did 43 years ago. Uh, I think it's good. I think we ought to, uh, when we consider what we're doing and what we have before us. Uh, Psalms 32, we begin reading with verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no God. Then I kept silence. My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions, unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found, truly in the floods of great weird waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. For thou art my hiding place, thou shalt preserve me from trouble, thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee in mine eye with mine eye. But ye, excuse me, be ye not as a horse or as a mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Let us pray. Dear kind, gracious, heavenly fathers, we come before thee this morning. We come thanking thee for thy goodness and mercy to us. Uh, we thank you, dear Lord, that uh, this psalm we have before us, we can take great courage. Uh, Lord, it shows us that sin is certainly nothing to play with. But Father, there's hope and there's deliverance. For us when we do sin. And Lord, I pray that you drive this home to the hearts of all of us that are gathered here today. And dear Lord, if there be one here this morning that's lost, I pray this is the time that you speak to their hearts and draw them on yourself. And dear Lord, what you do for us, we'll thank you and praise you for these things we do ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're looking at the subject discovering spiritual contentment. As we said last time, there just aren't many contented people in the world today. Contentment is something that evades uh, just about everybody. But the problem for that is because people are looking for contentment in all the wrong places. Uh, they tend to think that contentment is found in the, in the, in the uh, uh, physical realm, that is, by more money, more possessions, more prestige, better position, uh, whatever you may look at, that's where contentment is found. And they work and strive to acquire these things, and they may do it, 
but they're still not content because contentment is in the spiritual realm. Contentment from God. Contentment that only can be given to us by God and through God can we enjoy this and, and, and grow as he would have us have us to do. So that's what we begin looking at. Uh, we started out dealing with the possibility of spiritual contentment and had a little background. We noticed that this psalm was written by David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah put to death. Uh, this was a, a psalm where David had promised to help those that were fallen, that he would deliver those that had fallen. Uh, he also promised that he'll teach the sinners the way of the Lord, as we saw in Psalm 51. This is also a psalm that was written at that time. And what he wrote that he would acquire or would do rather in Psalms 51, we find him accomplishing, accomplishing it here in Psalms 32. Uh, now, I realize we, we're not used to going backward telling us telling things, but this is this is not altogether unusual as we look at how the scripture lays things out out for us. Uh, we saw that what spiritual content, contentment is defined, uh, dealt with the transgressions and sin, iniquity and guile, uh, all those things that the Lord can take care of in, in, in regard uh, to those things that come upon us. So we're going to we're going to begin now by saying that true spiritual contentment is defined by a heart that's clean. That right there could be one of the reasons why there's so little contentment today even among God's people. A heart that's clean. That means a heart that's not clutching a hold of or taking hold or, 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 not re or refusing to let go of little pet sins. Now, Let's be honest, those little pet sins that we all have to deal with, every one of us has to deal with them, those little pet sins, it is so easy for us to justify them, to make them in our minds appear to not be sin. So therefore, if it's not a sin, then I don't need to confess it, I don't need to, to repent of it, I can just keep on going my merry way because I have justified that within my heart. Well, beloved, our heart's deceived. Our heart is desperately wicked, the Scriptures teach us. So therefore, that which we justify in our minds and hearts isn't worth a snap of your fingers. It is still sin. If it was ever declared to be so, it is. Whether you committed or I committed, it's sin. And it must be dealt with. It must be confessed. And it must be repented of. We must have a clean heart if we want to have spiritual contentment. Uh, a clean heart is one of the greatest things in, uh, that you can ever have. Uh, I was thinking of the, of the words of a song uh, that we used to sing once in a while down in Virginia, Acres of Diamonds. And it had a part of a heart that's contented, a satisfied mind. These are the treasures money can't buy. Isn't that true? You can't get it by money. You can't get it by anything other than God granting it to you. And in order for that to happen, you must first have a clean heart, be forgiven, and honest before the Lord. Honest before the Lord with your life. Lord, I did this. Name what it was to Him. He knows what it was anyway. But name it nonetheless. And ask His forgiveness from Him. He's telling us the spiritual contentment 
is found in a spiritual cleansing. That sounds kind of kind of silly, but it's true. We gotta have be cleansed within. And how does that happen? Through the blood of Jesus. That's the only way that we can be cleansed because without the cleansing, we're still going to be dirty and filthy and defiled as we stand before God. So it takes that to happen for us. If we could ever grasp the truth, it would change our perspective on happiness and contentment in life. If we'd ever get a hold of it. That it's not going to be achieved unless or until our hearts are clean. And we are, we are uh, honest with God with how we are. If we could learn to accept this fact that we have that we have been cleansed and forgiven by God. When did that happen? When we were saved. At the very moment we're saved, we're completely cleansed and set free from the burden of sin. And our spiritual bankruptcy has been dealt with. We talked about that last week a little bit, about how spiritually bankrupt we are before God unless or until Jesus comes into our heart and Jesus comes into our life and cleanses us of that, that defilement, that sin. Uh, is and that God has washed away every sin, every stain has been cleansed. I think that I keep some of those spray spot removers. I keep them in business. Uh, there's hardly a Sunday goes by that I don't have to go back and let my cut, let my shirt have a blast or something. To, to, to make it clean again, to cleanse away the stain. And if that stain is still there, even if the only person that can see it is me, it's still not clean. It's still a stain, right? You can self-scrub yourself up all you want to. You can live your life as holy and righteous as you think you possibly can. And in your flesh, it will be all that you can. And you may, you may kid everybody and think what a righteous, holy person you are, but God still sees the stain. And unless or until that stain comes, you are, you're not cleansed. I remember them talking about my grandmother. She, she used to make lye soap. You remember that? And, and she washed in that old lye stuff. And I heard them say, uh, many times that if a, if a piece of clothing got a, got a spot on it, she got a hold of that soap and either the spot went or a hole come in the garment, one of the two. You know, I'm not quite that industrious myself, but it was important to, to be clean. And it, it's important for us to be spiritually clean before the Lord. This is the way that we can achieve genuine contentment and peace of heart. If you are saved, if you are a child of God, the Bible makes it clear that your sins are gone forever. Whatever you may be dealing with now is stuff that's come on to you after you're saved. Because once you're saved, those sins are gone. You don't have to ask to be forgiven from them anymore because they're gone. Spiritual contentment declared. It's no wonder that David declares that a person who is in this content condition is blessed. How blessed the person is to be content, to be spiritually content. This word means happy. And we know there's a difference between happiness and joy, but this is one where happiness most certainly does fit. Happy that you're clean. Happy that you're before God cleansed. Happy that you can present yourself before God with a clear conscience. Happy that you can enjoy the inner peace and contentment 
that only can be given to us by God in our lives. It refers to the state of contentment in the spiritual realm. We know, we've already touched on this somewhat, that true contentment is not going to be found in lands, money, or possessions. None of those things will give us contentment. True contentment is only going to be found in knowing that our sins and all of our defilement, all the muck, all the filth that we accumulate, and our ugliness and the judgment associated with them is gone and gone forever. You confess a sin before God today. The Bible promises us that He'll forgive that sin. And that sin will never be held against you unless you indulge that sin again and it has to be dealt with. It's gone forever. Thank God we don't have to keep repenting over and over and over and over for past sins. They were taken care of by God on the, on the cross of Calvary. Contentment comes when a soul is right with God. We've talk, been talking about. It's just like the songwriter told us in the second verse of the famous hymn, It is well with my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And it gives me glory bumps just do, reading through that. What truth it is. What it speaks of. Secondly, the path to spiritual contentment is found in verses 3-5. through five. I think that we'll all agree that David's idea of what contentment is is right on the mark. Now he tells us how this kind of contentment comes about. How we can get it. The process David experienced will hold true for all those who want to possess this same kind of contentment. It holds, it holds sound. First thing it does, it, enjoy, it enjoys. It involves the step of chastisement, verses 3 and 4. Now that's not something we like to think about. That's not something we like to, to allow to come, through, come into our minds. But it involves chastisement. When David sinned with Bathsheba, as we looked at last time, he tried to cover up that sin. And he managed to succeed for nearly a year before the baby was born. He managed to cover it up. Oh, there were some folks who knew about it. The palace guards that brought Bathsheba to him. Uh, the palace guards that were responsible for guarding David uh, through the night. They were a few that knew what had happened, but most, the overwhelming majority did not. While David lived with unconfessed sin in his life, I am convinced that he was a different man. How can we be convinced about that? Because we're different when we have unconfessed sin in our lives. You remember those commercials they used to have for Snickers? Talk about you're not you're just not you when you're hungry. You're not you when you got sin in your life. Unconfessed sin. The soldier lost his strength. He wasn't the soldier that he was before. The singer lost his song. And the saint had lost his satisfaction. All because of sin. His world was literally turned upside down. As God brought chastisement into God's life in David's life, excuse me, 
to confront sin. That's how God works. How He works in our life. David sacrificed peace, joy, and contentment on the altar of selfishness and sin. All to get what he wanted. David wanted what he wanted when he wanted it, and that's all that mattered. And he paid a very, very high price for some awful low living. It was very significant for him. Something we must not miss. If you are a child of God, we all need to learn a very, very valuable truth. There is no way that as a child of God, you can enjoy sin. Now you can commit it, and there might be a little flash of enjoyment while you're in the middle of committing it, but sometimes there's no even joy in that. You're not going to enjoy sin if you're a child of God. You're just simply not. <clears throat> when a saved person allows sin to take root in their lives, the Lord will indeed speak to that, to that person. First, He'll speak to us through His Spirit. You can find this in John chapter 16 and verse 13. If we do not hinder, if we do not heed the tender voice of conviction, He'll speak with more force. He will use chastisement to draw us back to where we need to be. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 12. And the chastisement will increase and increase and increase till finally he gets our attention. If we'll not listen to chastisement, it will harden our hearts to the point that we don't, we don't hear it at all. Well, he'll then allow us to fill a grave. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5. You mean to tell me that God would take one of his own? That's what the Bible says. It's a dangerous thing to play with sin. It's a dangerous thing to play with God. And it's not a game you're going to win in either case. You know, while this sounds scary, in one sense it's a great blessing. How in the world? Well, if you sin without concern, conviction, or chastisement, then you're simply not saved. I can't make that any blunter than that. If you can sin without there being any concern within, any conviction on your heart that you've done wrong, or any chastening from God because of what you've done, you're not saved. Because these are three things that God does with His children. Remember the analogy that He makes is as our earthly father corrects and chastens and takes care and looks after His children, so too does God. Uh, look after us. If you sin and God speaks to your heart, calling you back to where you belong, then that is proof of your salvation. So in that respect, it's a good thing. What a blessing this is in the final analysis. What does this show? As we already said, uh, this is the surest indicator, one of the surest indicators of salvation it is the fact that you cannot get away with sin. Oh, I wish we'd learned that lesson. Nobody in the Bible ever got away with their sin. And nobody in our day will get away with their sin. It's just, it just not something that can happen. Uh, God will not allow it to happen. Sinful thoughts, words, deeds 
are immediately met with resistance from the Spirit of God. Galatians 5 and verse 17. That's that inner chastening we're talking about. Conviction. Convictions of your sin. Have you ever have you ever done something? I'm not asking for a show of hands to anybody. But have you ever done something and as soon as you've done it, you knew you shouldn't have. And you wished you hadn't. But it's already happened. We saw just a minute ago, thank God that does work that way. That way you know you belong to Him. Because His Spirit is correcting you. His Spirit is convicting you of, of, what, of what you did. If we consistently ignore the still small voice of God, as God draws us back in the right relationship that we're supposed to have with Him, we're going to be headed for deep, deep trouble. Far more trouble than we, than we think we could be in. Far more trouble than we think we can get out of. And a whole lot more trouble than we want to be a part of. Um, and yet, so many of us, I said us, so many of us are so slow to learn this lesson. Do we get in trouble? Get up to our eyeballs in trouble sometimes. We will cause our hearts to become hard by allowing sin to stay there. Calloused and hard. Past feeling because it has become calloused and hard. When that happens, it'll be far easier to go deeper and deeper into sin. 1 Timothy 4.2 points it out. The more sin you do, the more sin you'll crave. The more sin you crave, the more sin you'll commit. The more sin you commit, the more you'll go. And it's, it's a vicious circle that keeps going on and that can only be broken by God. can only be broken by our confession and asking God's help. It involves a step of confession. Verse 5. When David was confronted with his sin by Nathan the prophet, he came totally clean with the Lord. He didn't try to deny it. He didn't try to justify it. He didn't try to pass it off on anybody else. He owned his sin. And that has to be the first step for all of us. We, have a, we live in a day when everybody blames everybody else for everything wrong. I did this wrong because. Yeah, I shouldn't have did it, but I wouldn't have if. And we got, we got a whole laundry list of ways to try to pass the buck on somebody else. We need to own it. I did it. Lord, help me. Lord, deliver me. Because I'm guilty of that. Notice that he dealt with his sin and his iniquity and his transgressions. David opened his heart to the Lord in transparent honesty and held absolutely nothing back. That's something we all should do. We, we are hesitant to open ourselves up completely to anybody, including God. There are just certain things that we don't like to expose to the light. And I'm not talking about necessarily sins. I'm talking about we just not, we're not prone to totally open up to anybody. Why? Sometimes because we've been hurt by people. Sometimes we've told people some things in confidence that didn't stay in confidence, and it was used to hurt us. And that tends to make us less likely to open up. Beloved, God's not going to hurt you. God's not going to backstab you. God's not going to go and, and do things that will deliberately cause you problems. Unless you're in sin, and then he might, but you, know, he, you open yourself up to God, you have nothing to fear. 
That's why it's important to have that private prayer closet where only the only people there is you and God. And you can do it. Open yourself up to where nobody can hear. This is the secret of getting clean before the Lord. And this is the first step in achieving true spiritual contentment. Our first thought, instinctively, our first thought when we sin is to go about covering it up. You know, I'm not confessing it, but covering it up. That's just our, that's the way we were made. That's the, the, way, the way that we are. Uh, this does nothing but invite the judgment of God into our lives. That's all it does. You see, God already knows what we've done. We talked about that a few minutes ago. He saw the thought form in our minds. He watched the body as it carried out the deed. And then He witnessed all the attempts to hide it and to cover it up. He watched it all. was aware of every bit of it. Hiding sin is not the answer. Confessing sin is. And that's what we need to do. The Bible is clear that there are some precious promises given to those who will be open and honest with the Lord regarding their sin, their transgressions, and their iniquity. We must be honest with the Lord. If we're going to obtain true spiritual contentment, when then, beloved, we must learn to heed the voice of God as He draws us to Himself. And we must also learn to deal honestly with our sins, our transgressions, and our iniquities before Him in humble confession and repentance. I've known more believers than I care to admit that what they need is a good dose of humility. They think they're humble, but they like the person that was humble and proud of it. And they think somehow they have obtained something. They think that they have gotten somewhere. They think that they are somebody before the Lord. And they just don't see themselves as sinners saved by grace anymore. We must uh, humble ourselves in confession and repentance. Thirdly, the privileges of spiritual contentment. Verses 6 to 11. Now that we know what spiritual contentment is, and now that we know how to get it, we need to look at the benefits of possessing it, what, what they are. The first is the privilege of divine protection. Verses 6 and the first part of verse 7. Those who walk with the Lord enjoy Him as a place of refuge and safety. A place that we can go to when we need those things. The knowledge of this is something that comes when we are in close fellowship with God, you're not going to find the falling afar off. But when you're close with Him, you can find this to be true. When we will turn to Him in time of trouble and temptation, that is when we find the strength that He has for us. It is then we find that He has all the resources that we need to escape the danger that's at hand. All the resources that we need. And then some. We can say, if David had been praying as he should have been, he would have avoided the sin and the sorrow it brought into his life and his family. But he wasn't. He was Google-eyed, a woman who was bathing in her own house. I get tired of hearing people throw all kinds of rocks at Bathsheba. 
Now she wasn't she wasn't innocent by no means. But he was staring at her from his palace, looking down into her house as she bathed in the privacy of her own home. The king sent for her. And if the king sends for you, you go. Knowing that he has the power to, to lop your head off. And therefore, I think that was the reason why she was submissive to him. She shouldn't have been. She should have stood up and said, God forbid this evil thing. But, I mean, like I said, she was not innocent. But the burden of that sin befalls David, squarely on David's shoulders and squarely upon his heart. The children of God are not exempt from troubles. You know that. That's not a surprise. We have them, deal with them on a daily basis. They are kept, however, by God in them and strengthened by them. He doesn't always take us out of the trouble. We've looked at this before. He leaves us in them, but He gives us the strength to go through them, and we are strengthened by them once we come out the other side. We've already looked at that at some depth. Events that would destroy the wicked person will only serve to demonstrate God's grace to the righteous person. You think about uh, the writer, It is well with my soul. Lost all of his daughters going across the ocean. And still he had the grace to write that wonderful, wonderful song. A lost person may have been tempted to go headlong into the ocean and drown with his, to be with his daughters. But not him. Uh, he had the power of the strength of God. Troubles stopped David's family all the days of his life after his sin. He was told it would. He was told that this was going to be uh, his law what was going to happen. Yet through them all, he was preserved. He was brought through. The, that, the, the privilege of divine proximity, uh, verses 8 and 9. God speaks at this point. He promises to give David guidance and direction in his life. And he also warns David of stubbornness and disobedience. And those are things that get us in trouble, stubbornness and disobedience. God tells David that he'll guide him with his eyes. This implies extreme closeness to be able to do that. Um, you know, the eyes of God could give David a warning look or a welcoming look. And that implies extreme closeness. Just as a husband and wife, especially if they've been married any time at all, can, can become so close that a simple look can speak volumes. The look, the look that I'm acquainted with is, I'm sorry, dear, I won't do it anymore. Don't hit me. That's the look I'm getting now. <laughs> However, beloved, we must not be stubborn and we must not be disobedient. God has to do. We must hum be humbled and yielded, ready to do as He tells us to do. We must keep our eyes on Him, on His, on Him through His Word, and He will guide our steps for His glory. Verse ten tells us the privilege of divine peace. There is absolutely no comparing the life of a saved person to the life of a person who's lost. The rebellious person. Is like a person who's surrounded by a swarm of angry wasps. 
Everywhere the wicked person turns their stung. They can't seem to go anywhere without, without getting in trouble. And sometimes pretty bad, painful trouble, like with stings. The righteous person, on the other hand, is like a person surrounded by a swarm of honeybees. And they're busy making honey for them. No harm, only joy, only gladness uh, comes from uh, the walk with the Lord. The image is clear. Those who walk in the ways of the Lord will have sorrows. They certainly will. We know that we will, but we'll be delivered through them. We'll be delivered by them. Those who submit to Him and walk with God shall have joy, peace, and blessings. This is something that we're all, we're all guaranteed. Lastly, bet you didn't think I'd get there. Connor, we made it, bud. He didn't starve to death. <laughs> the privilege of divine praise. Those who walk with the Lord in purity have a reason to praise, have a reason to be glad. The children of God are saved and secure in their relationship with God. That is something that they can depend on. If they're walking with Him, they're also sanctified and clean. It's implied by walking with the Lord. You can't walk with Him and not be. They enjoy the best this world has to offer. That is the blessing to come from God. It's the best that you have. You find. They also have hope in the next world to come. What a blessing it is to know that we have God in this world and we're going to have Him in the world to come. What strength and encouragement that is for us. We are literally compassed about with songs of deliverance in the Bible, we can find the hope that we need. Those who know the Lord have every reason to lift their voices and shout for joy, praising God for what they have. Those who know God and who are walking with Him enjoy all the precious privileges that the psalmist mentioned here throughout the Word that we've looked at this morning. I want to close with a question. Do these privileges and this joy and this comfort and this fellowship, this closeness to God, do they exist in your life? Let's pray.